no one here is deceived that what Chairman Pai is trying to do today is an act of vision or movement or forward progress. It is an act of cowardice and cruelty. We also are going to be sure that the voices of the most marginalized are centered and amplified in ways that folks don't want them to be because they know that it's going to impact change in our society and it's going to shake a lot of stuff up. Let's be clear, this fight does not end today. If the FCC decides to put the interests of a few corporate donors above the interests of all of us, we will fight back. We will take the fight to the courts and we will take the fight to the streets. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance and Alternative News from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, this week, an earthquake from Washington shook the entire nation. No, I'm not talking about Trump's decision to declare Jerusalem as the capital of Israel or his decision to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement or the GOP tax plan that is the biggest transfer of wealth to the 1% and corporations in this country's history. It is not even Democrat Doug Jones defeating Republican accused pedophile Roy Moore to become the new U.S. Senator from Alabama. No, on Thursday, the Federal Communications Commission voted to scrap net neutrality rules that ensure equal access to the Internet for everyone. Now corporations like Comcast or Verizon can create fast lanes and slow lanes of internet traffic, sabotage the content of rivals, block content as they choose, and charge websites to simply reach their users. On the Ground was at the Federal Communications Commission on Thursday when hundreds rallied just before the vote was taken. We'll hear the voices of activists, organizers, legislators, and policymakers from that protest for most of this hour. All that is coming up, but first our headlines about what is happening beyond the borders of the U.S. with on-the-ground contributor and analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Well, Gerald, there is continued fallout, I should add largely unreported fallout from Trump's highly destructive decision last week to declare Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. This week, perhaps some of that fallout is continuing with an important speech by the German foreign minister on Germany's relationship to the United States. So what's your take on that? Well, first of all, footnote on the fallout, I would pay particular attention to the reaction in Turkey which has had strained relations with the United States of late. And also, interestingly enough, the Turkish leader, President Erdogan, always makes a point to meet with African-American Muslims when he comes to Washington. And likewise, his opponent, his opposition, Fatula Gulen, who is exiled in Pennsylvania, has started a number of charter schools in black communities from the Atlantic to the Pacific. So, I think in terms of the fallout from this Jerusalem maneuver by Trump, we have to keep a close eye on Turkey. But with regard to this very important speech by the German foreign minister, Sigmar Gabriel, 
I think we should all pay attention because what he said is that Trumpism is not a temporary phenomenon in the United States, contrary to some of the an analysis you hear on the left, for example, in the United States. And therefore, he says, both the European Union and Germany must forge its own path. Now, what are the implications? That is to say, despite the defeat in Alabama of pedophile Roy Moore, he still won an overwhelming victory amongst those defined as white, including women who carry that particular descriptor. It was only a overwhelming turnout by the black community, particularly black women voting against Roy Moore by 98% that saved the U.S. Senate from being pockmarked by his presence. And this was not unlike the 1991 race of David Duke, the neo-fascist and Klansman, who got 55% of the white vote in a race for the governorship of Louisiana in 1991. So when Mr. Gabriel says that Trumpism and right-wing populism is a permanent part of the U.S. landscape that Germany will have to figure a way to engage with, I think he's also sending a signal to our community as well. That is to say that I would imagine and hope that Berlin would be open to meeting with delegations from our community to try to forge a broad anti-U.S. imperialist front. And in any case, in terms of forging its own path, you already see evidence of that today with this news item that the EU is trying to accelerate the development of its own defense arm and become less dependent upon U.S. military contractors, which could mean more unemployment for those who work for those contractors, particularly in that corridor that stretches from Washington, D.C. to Dulles Airport. I should also say that this opens up more possibility, needless to say, for conflict with the United States, with the EU developing its own defense arm. In any case, part of the figures we need to take into account is that the population of the European Union is about 500 million. The population of the United States is about 330 million. The EU as a whole has a larger economy than that of the United States. So Mr. Trump, by picking on Chancellor Angela Merkel, which he has done repeatedly in 2017, has obviously opened a Pandora's box. Well, now you mentioned the EU development of their own defense, but there was also a development in terms of the EU and the U.S. and Japan forming an alliance. So how is that connected? Well, it's, it's contradictory, obviously. Uh, this is as a result of the World Trade Organization meeting taking place in Argentina just this past week. The United States, the EU, and Japan have developed an informal bloc targeting the People's Republic of China. It's a reaction to the fact that China is obviously in the passing lane. If you look at the technologies of the 21st century, including robotization, quantum computing, green energy, China is surging ahead. And the question is, will this anti-China bloc be able to overcome the internal conflicts? And in terms of internal conflicts, reference my recent remark on the speech by the foreign minister of Germany, basically excoriating the United States of America. Keep in mind as well that China has established quite a foothold in Europe, particularly in the less developed 
regions of Europe, that is to say the 16 nations of Eastern Europe, which it meets with on a regular basis and which it's investing in heavily. And then there's a question as to whether or not India, a very critical nation, will go along with this anti-China bloc. And of course, you know that India and China fought a war in 1962, and there's been strained relations between them ever since. This also makes Russia pivotal since it enjoys uh, positive ties with all sides. And obviously, the anti-Russia mania in the United States right now, in some sense, is at odds with this anti-China bloc because it's very difficult to oppose both of these powerful nations at the same time. Now, finally, I did see one uh, a news item. I think it might be a new report pointing to France for having a role in the Rwanda genocide. Yeah, interestingly enough, this is a current headline. Rwanda is charging France with a material role in the 1994 genocide. Recall that in the spring of 1994, as the international community was fixated on the first democratic elections in South Africa, simultaneously in Rwanda, in the heart of Africa, 70% of the Tutsi population was slaughtered in a matter of three months. The current Rwanda government, which came to power in the aftermath of that horrible genocide, has engaged a Washington, D.C. law firm, Cunningham, Levy, and Muse, to do a report on France's complicity with regard to this genocide. And they've come to the conclusion that France is culpable, that Paris trained the police and the army, which were in the driver's seat when this genocide was unfolding. France at that time was quite worried about the fact that the Tutsi leadership under President President Paul Gagami was all too close to the so-called Anglosphere, that is to say all too close to London and Washington, and that, according to this new report, has been a material factor in helping to explain why France was complicit with regard to the genocide against the Tutsis. Now, in turn, as I'm sure you know, uh, since 1994, there have been these allegations that in retaliation that the Rwanda Patriotic Front under Mr. Kagame Kagame, uh, committed its own mass murders against the Hutu population, uh, but other analysts suggest that that was just part of the casualties of a war and certainly did not rise to the, le- to the level of a conscious, intentional genocide. I think that part of our demand on this side of the Atlantic should be to pressure Paris to open its files to independent investigators so we can put to rest or perhaps even confirm that France was materially involved in one of the most horrific crimes of the 20th century. We'll keep following that story, certainly in the coming weeks, with with so many stories that are happening domestically and internationally. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. His most recent books are The Rise and Fall of the Associated Negro Press, Claude Barnett's Pan-African News and the Jim Crow Paradox, and Storming the Heavens, African Americans and the Early Fight for the Right to Fly. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you.
a wonderful, amazing champion, not just for net neutrality, but on a whole host of other issues. Someone that anytime we are talking about justice, his name pops up. Let's give it up for Representative Keith Ellison. You know, you guys, it's about power. What we're talking about is power today. Will the open Internet be in service to the power of the people? Or will Ajit Pai and the Republicans and all those guys turn the power over to the monopolists who want to control us and throttle and block information that we need? The question is, are we going to stand by and let them do this, or are we going to raise our voices? Are we going to raise our voices and demand that the public Internet be in service to the public? What about that? You know, this, these are our airwaves. The Internet was started on the public dollar, and the Internet should be open to the public. And I'm telling you right now that if we mobilize ourselves, if we organize right here and all over this country, if we never stop fighting, we will win this victory. The biggest enemy we have is if we decide those people are too powerful. The big Internet service providers are too powerful. The people in the White House and in the FCC are too powerful. No, they're not powerful. We are the powerful. They derive, they derive any strength they got based on what we allow them to have. And right now we're not allowing them to have no power. We demand it. We reclaim it. Now, I just want to say to you, I just want to say to you this. That what's going on here is that they are saying that if they allow, if they allow the FCC, Ajit Pai allows big corporations to control and maximize profit and create fast lanes, then they're going to take some of the extra money they make, their monopoly profits, and they might open up some opportunities for some people who don't have them. Now, when has that ever happened? When has that ever happened? They say that, oh, if you give the rich folks more tax cuts, they'll use it to make jobs and sprinkle down on the rest of us. Has that ever happened? No. If, if they don't have any regulations, any health and safety regulations, then they'll use the extra money to, like, look after us. Has that ever happened? No. No, they are doing this so that they can reap more monopoly profit, so they can buy more political influence, so they can give themselves more bonuses, so they can create more mergers, so they can get rid of more jobs. It is to screw the American people, and we are not going to stand by for it. We are going to stand here, we're going to fight back, and we are going to win. Never give up. Keep it up. Let's go fight for our open Internet, everybody. Thank you. All right, y'all. Let's keep it moving. So three years ago, you know, we were out here three years ago fighting for net neutrality. This is before the rules were passed. But there was another fight brewing in the country at the time, out in Ferguson, which became, after the murder of Michael Brown, Ferguson became a flashpoint for a conversation around police violence in this country. It became the opportunity, the platform for the birth of a movement like Black Lives Matter to go from a hashtag to people organizing all over the country. So up next, it is my honor to bring up Damon Davis, a multimedia artist and a co-director of Whose Streets, a film about the, the murder of Michael Brown and the uprisings that happened in Ferguson shortly after that, which recently premiered in Sundance. Let's give it up. Damon Davis.
What's up? How y'all doing today? Uh, I'm from a, a small place in the middle of the country called St. Louis, by way of East St. Louis, Illinois. I don't know if y'all heard of that. I guess we get considered a flyover place, and people rarely uh, pay attention to how we live. You know what I'm saying? And so a couple of years back, a kid was killed, and we all went out into the street uh, to get justice for him. And uh, we wouldn't have been able to mobilize. We wouldn't have been able to get any attention on it. And nobody would have known what happened to us after the protest started without a free Internet. We wouldn't know about uh, uprisings in other countries. Nobody would know about places like St. Louis, Flint, Michigan, things of that nature, and the things that the powers that be get to do to us without a free Internet. The real question is what are we finna do now. So, uh, and uh, just keep up the good fight, y'all. Peace, peace. Thank you, David. From whose streets to whose nets, man, this is the fight right here. All right, coming up next, we got some more congressional champions coming up here. Because even though we got a failure leadership going on inside the FCC, we do have people we can count on. And next up is Representative Jose Serrano from New York, who's been a longtime net neutrality champion, fighting in the trenches with us from day one. Congressman Jose Serrano. Good morning. It's the Internet, not the elite net. It's not supposed to be for some people. It's supposed to be for all people. Now, I represent a community mostly of Latinos and African Americans. One of the things I notice is that every day more and more and more and more people at senior centers in hospitals, in areas of recreation, are using the Internet to get information and, yes, to be at times entertained because they can find movies and information that they haven't seen for years and they remember from their youth and so on. So remember what you're fighting for here. You're just not fighting a fight against corporations. You're fighting against corporations for the people who don't have a voice. You are their voice. This is why you're here today. And I want you to say it after me. It's the Internet. Not the elite net. Hello, good morning, fighters for justice. How are you doing? My name is Pramila Jayapal, and I represent the 7th Congressional District in the state of Washington. I've been an organizer all my life, a civil rights advocate, an immigrant rights ad advocate, an activist. The reason I call you Fighters for Justice is because the Internet is not just the Internet. The Internet is about our democracy. It is about justice. It is about ensuring access for people across this country to be able to work, to be able to organize, to be able to fight for justice. If you think about the Me Too movement, if you think about Black Lives Matter, if you think about every social movement in this country that has been able to use the Internet and think about what they are trying to do to silence our voices, there is one answer, and it is hell no. We are not going to let you change this rule. How's everyone feeling? Yeah. We're here to save the Internet. I said we're here to save the Internet. And I'm about to bring someone to the stage who's also from my home state, South Carolina. She's a, a long-time 
vocal. I can't even think I'm going to make up a, an adjective to describe just the fire that she has brought to this fight for a very long time. An advocate for the people, an advocate for net neutrality, for Internet freedom, for Title II. Everybody, please show love to FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn. <laughs> Good morning, net neutrality supporters. How you doing out here? So we're right next door to a place that is going to make a significant decision today. But we're right next door to some people who speak for those who recognize that equality over the Internet is a right. Now... If I were to base success or the arc of justice on one vote today, I would be short-sighted and sad. But while I must admit that I am outraged today about what we are poised to do, I know in my heart of hearts that the millions of people who recognize the power, the potential, and the opportunities we have with an open, inclusive online platform is our number one priority today. I am here to tell you that in the long run, we will be victorious. Now I'm going to yield my time to some lawmakers who have got, they've got your back. Thank you so much. Give it up for Commissioner Clyburn. And speaking of people who listen to our voices, the next person I'm going to bring up is another longtime champion of this issue. And you need to pay attention to who the members of Congress are that are listening to us and who have made public vocal statements calling for a stop to this vote, calling for, for us to keep the current net neutrality rules. This individual has done that and more. I have from Massachusetts, the great state of Massachusetts, Senator Ed Markey. Put your hands together. <laughs> Thank you all, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. This is the issue of our time. And we are out here in the cold to turn the heat up on the Federal Communications Commission. They are going to feel the political pressure of tens of millions of people across this country who do not want to see net neutrality repealed. They are going to know, all of those in Congress, all of those in the FCC, that there is going to be a political price to pay for taking net neutrality away from the American people. This is a fundamental issue of equality. So the smallest entrepreneur, the smallest voice has equal access to the Internet. This is about ensuring that every single voice is heard. This is about ensuring that people without fear that they will be cut off can say black lives matter. See, say, puede that they can say, yes, she persisted, that it is possible for any voice, no matter how small, to be online, that 
any company, no matter how small, can get online without fear of having themselves tipped upside down and having money shaken out of their pockets by the big broadband barons. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to file an amicus brief in the federal courts with Anna Eshoo to make sure that we take this fight to the courts and all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States if that is necessary. I am going to file a Congressional Review Act to make sure that the Congress has to vote on whether or not net neutrality rules are changed in the United States Congress. We must make these people accountable. We must make sure that we stand up for the little entrepreneur, for the smallest voice in our country, because on every part of net neutrality, there is one thing that separates the people here from the people on the FCC who are going to repeal these rules. We are right and they are wrong, ladies and gentlemen. And so, so let us now ensure that we stay in this fight, that we make them pay a political price, that we have razor blade sharp political edges on this issue, and that we bring this issue into the 2018 congressional races across this country. Make people be accountable for taking away net neutrality from people all across our country. Let's get out there and fight. Thank you for being here tonight. It is my honor to introduce National Organizing Chair for Black Youth Project 100, which is an organization fighting for the liberation of young black people all across the country. So I'm gonna bring up Brianna Gibson, who's gonna tell you a little bit about what the internet means to young black people in our work fighting for justice. I'm really glad to be out here with you all today. As Aaron said, I'm National Organizing Co-Chair of BYP 100, and we are an organization of young black 18 to 35 year old organizers and activists who are fighting for justice and a just future for all black people. And so the way in which we came about is after the Zimmerman verdict, the person who murdered Trayvon Martin, we had 100 black organizers and activists who decided that they wanted to form an organization with the recognition that the stories of young black people were not being told as they should be in our mainstream narratives. And with the recognition that there was no meaningful engagement for people who are young, black, and between the ages of 18 and 35, and actually knew that black people need agency and we are gonna build power in order to affect change in our futures. And so part of us building power has been via an open internet. Um, we've used the internet to tell our stories We've used the internet to spread images of direct actions, to spread campaigns, and to inspire other people and let folks know that you actually don't have to sit back and just take whatever the state's giving you. You don't have to sit back and take whatever corporations say is what the norm is in our society. But you can fight back and you can say no. You can say no on the internet. You can come to some organizing meetings and say no with members of your communities. You can run campaigns to say no and to actually stop these things from happening. And I think that's been really powerful and transformative also as an organization that does a lot of direct action and as a direct action practitioner for myself 
um, to, for folks to be able to see and for me to participate in the act of saying no with my body, right? Um, and how that message has spread around the world and encouraged more people to stand up and be like, no, we're not going for that. As well as hear the stories of folks in other places. So whether you are in Prince George's County, where I'm from, if you're in Brooklyn, where I currently live, in Oakland, if you're in St. Louis, if you're in Texas, if you're in Chicago, Detroit, Milwaukee, that you can look and see. I see young black people standing up and fighting, and they're talking about stuff that impacts me too. So I know this isn't an individual issue, and there's nothing wrong with me, but these are systems that are built to oppress us and to keep us down. And so how can we strategize together to overturn these systems and build power within our communities. And the internet has been able to facilitate those conversations, build that community, and help us to build power. But we know that building power, especially the power of young black folks, is not popular. It's not profitable. We know that anti-blackness is profitable. We know that keeping people oppressed is profitable. And so that's something that corporations and the elite are not gonna like. So people fighting against net neutrality they're doing it for profit, but also understand that it's a power move on their part, right? So they see that we're building power with each other and we're becoming a force to be reckoned with. And we are making sure, we're forcing the media to acknowledge our narratives. We're forcing other Americans to acknowledge the things that we have to say and recognize that actually we are aware of these systems and we're a lot smarter than you think. And we are running campaigns to undermine these systems and we're going to win because we're building with folks, black folks here, we're building with black folks internationally, and we're building with all of our siblings around the world who are standing with us and know what justice is and what it looks like and that we don't live in that society right now. And so understand that that's also a power move and they wanna stop us from building power. But here's the thing, we know power belongs to the people. And I know that the young black folks that I organize are with are badass and that we're gonna keep transforming the society in order to ensure that power is in the hands of the people. And through that fight, we also are gonna be sure that the voices of the most marginalized are centered and amplified in ways that folks don't want them to be because they know that it's gonna impact change in our society and it's gonna shake a lot of stuff up. So just know that even if today's vote doesn't go in our favor or the vote continues, that we're still here and we're still fighting and it's definitely not over because we're not letting up until we reach liberation and we're not going back. Thank you. Ain't nobody praying for me. Nobody praying for me. Ain't nobody praying for me. If you're just tuning in, you've been listening to voices from the net neutrality wake-up call protest held outside the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, on Thursday, December 14, 2017 in Southwest D.C. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. We'll be back with more voices from the rally after this break. I feel like a chip on my shoulders. I feel like I'm losing my focus. I feel like I'm losing my patience. I feel like my thoughts in the basement feel like I feel like you're miseducated. Feel like I don't wanna be bothered. I feel like you may be the problem. I feel like it ain't no tomorrow. F- the world, the world is ending. I'm done pretending. If f- you, if you get offended, I feel like friends been overrated. I feel like the family been faking. I feel like the feelings are changing. Feel like my daughter compromised is jaded. Feel like you wanna screw and that's how I made it. Feel like.
like I ain't feeling you all Feel like removing myself, no feelings involved I feel for you, I've been in the field for you It's real for you, right? Shit, I feel like ain't nobody praying for me Ain't nobody praying for me Ain't nobody praying for me Ain't nobody praying I feel it's been out of pocket I feel it's tapping their pockets I feel like debating on who the greatest can stop it I am legend, I feel like all of y'all is peasants I feel like all of y'all is desperate I feel like all it takes us a second to feel like Mike Jordan whenever holding a real mic I ain't feeling your presence Feel like I'ma learn you a lesson Feel like only me and the music though I feel like you're feeling me mutual I feel like the enemy you should know Feel like the feeling of no hope The feeling of bad A quarter house manipulated from soap The feeling, the feeling of false freedom A false freedom to poison to fill them up in the prison I feel like it's just me, look I feel like I can't breathe, look I feel like I can't sleep, look I feel heartless, often, often Feeling the falling, I'm falling apart With darkest hours lost in Feeling the void of being employed with balling Streets is talking, filling the blanks with coffins Fill up the banks with dollars Fill up the graves with fathers Fill up the babies with bush The internet blogs and pulpit Filling with gossip I feel like this gotta be the feeling where Pac was The feeling of an apocalypse happening But nothing is awkward The feeling won't prosper The feeling is toxic I feel like I'm boxing Demons, monsters, false prophets Scheming sponsors, industry promises Cause bitches, honkies, crackers, Compton Church, religion, token, blacks in bondage Lawsuit visits, subpoena, served in concert Yo, feelings, I mean this for imposters I can feel it, the phoenix, sure to watch us I can feel it, the dream is more than process I can build a regime that forms a likeness I can feel it, the scream that haunts our logic I feel like say something, I feel like take some. I feel like skating on, I feel like waiting for Maybe it's too late for em. I feel like the whole world want me to pray for him But who's praying for me? Nobody praying for me. And the next person coming up to speak is from a, one of our member organizations out from St. Paul, Minnesota. This cold weather means nothing to him. That's why he's wearing a little coat. His name is Martin Ludden, the executive director at St. Paul Neighborhood Network. Allowing ISPs to censor or throttle or interfere with the free and open travel of information over the internet poses a clear threat to our First Amendment protections. It's a threat to Jamila and Francisco and our youth and each and every one of you and our Magnet sister and brother organizations and every single one of you who has something to say. We need to do all we can to ensure that a profit motive will not privilege some voices over others. That speech challenging the status quo will not find itself in the slow lane. That every voice can be heard and that every story can be told. Free the internet. All right, shout out to St. Paul Neighborhood Network and shout out to all the public access TV stations out there. We got one right in front of the house, Philly Cam. Shout out to Philly Cam. From public access TV stations to community radio stations, those institutions, very much like the internet, allow for people to create their own media and tell their own stories. Next person coming up here, also affiliated with St. Paul Neighborhood Network, but also has helped to organize a community radio station, WFNU, Frogtown Neighborhood Association in Frogtown, St. Paul, Minnesota, Simona Zappas. Good morning. Good morning. 
Davis, and I'm the director of WFNU Frogtown Community Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Our station is housed in a church basement. Our station has an FM broadcast range of 10 miles, but we rely on our web stream to reach the majority of our listeners. Our station is small, but we give a mic and an audience to folks regardless of whether or not they have skills in radio, whether or not they have a journalism degree, or whether or not they have a computer at home. Our station shares diverse voices and a community forum, and our work is fueled by the knowledge that everyone has a story and a perspective to be heard, and that individual experience comes before profit. Our station shares diverse voices of people who are historically misrepresented by big media groups. On our station, we have folks telling their stories about personal experience with addiction and recovery. Mothers sharing with each other about the pain of losing their children to gun violence. And we feature music from local teens at the high school down the street. If someone at our station said something that an internet service provider didn't like, or if an internet service provider decided they just plain out didn't like us, we could not afford the price to keep up with the speed needed to folks to access our web stream. Cutting listeners out from hearing community news. Deregulating net neutrality is about denying diverse voices a chance to be heard in the name of profit. With our FM signal, we reach St. Paul. But with internet broadcasting, we can be heard around the world. Thank you so much, Simona. All right. So we're going to do a little chanting to get our energy up. When I say who's net, y'all say our net. Who's net? Who's net? Who's net? Who's net? When I say don't block my internet, you basically say the same thing. Don't block my internet. Don't block my internet. Don't block my internet. Don't block my internet. Make some noise if you're cold. All right. All right, y'all. As Jesus and Mary like to say, only illustrious guests here today. We got representatives of Congress who came through. We got commissioners at the FCC who came through. We got senators who came through. Next up, we got the chief technology officer for the city of New York. New Yorkers, make some noise. Miguel Gamino. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I could be here. I had to uh, navigate the snow on a train, so uh, I apologize for being a little bit late. But today is super, super important. And New York City joins millions of people, hundreds of community organizations and local leaders raising our voice in opposition of dismantling net neutrality protections, what we like to call save net neutrality. Unlike our representatives at the FCC right next door, we don't ignore 13,000 pages of net neutrality complaints filed by New Yorkers and other consumers from all over the country. New York Mayor de Blasio has been at the forefront, and I'm proud of that. Right. But he's been side by side with mayors from cities all over the country, including someone near and dear to my heart, the recently late Mayor Ed Lee in San Francisco. When I worked for him in San Francisco, public Wi-Fi, public access to the internet, 
was a major initiative. It was we saw it as a human right, as a way for people to participate in modern society today. And so it's timely that I'm standing up here representing New York, but still representing my family back in San Francisco in honor of Mayor Ed Lee today. But a free and open internet forms the backbone of the 21st century economy. And as leaders of our local communities, we understand too well that the vote today is a fundamental threat to consumer protection, opportunity, and the creation of new ideas. So today's efforts to dismantle net neutrality, notwithstanding the serious legal deficiencies, not to get lawyer on us, but it represents a stark, inexplicable, unwarranted attack on our communities and our residents. So today, too many people in low-income communities already can't afford the internet. So reversing net neutrality protections only increases the unfairness and inequality in our communities. 20% of New Yorkers, that's 1.6 million people today, do not have access to internet in their homes. They're already blocked. They're blocked by affordability. They're, they're blocked by availability. We don't need more blocks. We need access. Those people don't have the luxury to pay for upgraded service packages. They can't pay additional fees just to complete their homework or do a job search. And let me be really clear, they shouldn't have to. For these people we're talking about, the best alternative is to leave their home. Go find a public library, only between the hours of 8 and 5, and stand in line and wait. One more San Francisco story. We had just launched SF Wi-Fi and we were at an event. And I was done with that event, I walked off stage and a mother came up to me and she said, thank you for leading the Wi-Fi on after the library closes. And I looked at her puzzled and I thought, I have to understand this better. And so I asked her and she said that her son would frequent the front steps of the public library to finish his homework. In that moment, I felt proud and ashamed at the very same time. Proud that at least we gave her an option, gave him an option, but ashamed that we could not have done better. So we must do more, not less. And while these important community institutions like public libraries and public places are doing their best to serve this public need, even they are going to be impacted by what's happening next door. And it's a disproportionate burden on small businesses and startups. Small businesses might be able to connect to customers to compete online. They have to. Over 98% of businesses in New York are small. Small businesses. The backbone of our economy. And voting to repeal net neutrality is an unconscionable act against those small business owners, those entrepreneurs, and those innovators. Not just in the current time, but in the future. And not just in New York but in every corner of this country. And the same holds true for technology startups in New York City and around America. Without net neutrality rules, incumbent ISPs can unfairly tip the scales in their favor 
or in the favor of the companies with the resources to pay. And connectivity is not only the foundation for education and economic opportunity, it's also the future of our cities. We're working hard to leverage technology to better serve people. And that future is now in jeopardy. These actions come at a time when ISPs with interest in repealing are selling smart city products, inserting themselves between the residents and the services we deliver to them. So I'm here to tell you as the FCC steps back, New York City steps up. We can't stop, we won't stop our fight for net neutrality. We won't stop fighting to protect the internet, to make sure that it is fair and neutral for all users. And while the weather right here might be cold, I can tell that our passion and our movement is hot. So we must protect the open internet today to ensure the future we are building is accessible to everybody tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. You know what else is hot? You know what else is hot? The, the CTO of the city of New York has the flyest kicks. So someone should tweet that out. Uh, all right, y'all. We got someone else coming up next uh, out of Philly, the city of brotherly love. And sisterly love, let's be real. Media mobilizing project, an organization whose mission, or what they say, is the movements begin with the telling of untold stories. No one tells those stories better than Media Mobilizing Project. Coming up next, Alex Wiles. Everybody, it's like you said, I'm Alex Wiles. I'm here from Philadelphia, and I'm really humbled and honored to be at this amazing high-energy rally today. So I'm a media activist from Philadelphia. And let's face it, first of all, the internet has never truly been equitable. The digital divide in this country is very, very real. Even today, there are at least five million school-age kids without broadband internet at home. And that digital divide, that inequity, will only expand if net neutrality is repealed, which we cannot allow to happen. But in spite of this tremendous inequity, the internet has been one of the greatest venues for action, for conversations around the way we shape the world. Our open internet is a tool for free speech at its core. It allows us to expose and confront injustice on a scale both local and international. It is an indispensable tool for participation in society, giving millions of people easier access to employment, and it helps us break down barriers to education. Well, I may get a little sappy here, but it allows us also to find friendship and solidarity in an otherwise totally isolating world, which is crucial for the marginalized and queer youth of this country with no other support network to turn to. Our open internet has allowed us to amplify our voices and claim our own identities. We have seen more positive images of black and brown people on social media in the last five years than we have on mainstream media in the last century. Most important of all, the internet as it currently exists allows us to express our dissent, to organize collectively, 
for change in a world plagued by injustice. This is what Ajit Pai and the telecom superpowers seek to take away from us. Isn't that right, Pai? You goddamn sellout. Consider this, consider this. An FCC chairman groomed by Verizon and put in power by a billionaire president. It does not stretch the imagination. It does not stretch the imagination to see that he is likely to protect the interests of the wealthy over the interests of people like you and me. This is not an attempt to reinvigorate our economy, as he so claims. It is just another money grab for the ultra-wealthy. It is an attempt to break and splinter apart the greatest tool for progress that this planet has ever seen. The internet, the internet right now is for us what telephones and print were for the civil rights activists of the previous century. As a queer black man and filmmaker and media activist from the poorest big city in the country, I can tell you that losing the open internet would deal a tremendous blow against our continued fight for civil liberty. This is just the latest attack in the class war that will leave more people offline and without internet access. We must not allow the digital divide to expand any more than it already has. Perhaps you've forgotten, FCC, that your obligation is to us, the people, not wealthy corporations. But history, history will remember, as it always has. No matter what happens today, we will never stop fighting. We will fight here in the streets and we will fight in the courts for as long as it takes. For as long as it takes. One last chance. The people united will never be defeated. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. All right, coming up next, illustrious guests. We just have Philadelphia. We heard from San Francisco. Let's go to the Southwest from the beautiful state of New Mexico. A state that right now is struggling. When you look at the list of states all over the country in terms of education, in terms of the digital divide, this state always keeps coming up towards the bottom. So this state knows what it means to have access to an equal internet. I want to invite up Roberta Rael, Executive Director of Generation Justice and a delegation of New Mexicans. Generation Justice in Albuquerque, New Mexico, working with young people and young at heart people, and making sure that voices of our community are heard, not from the interpretation of other people, but from their own voices. And so one of the things I want to just mention to the other media folks that are out here today, that when you all do this reporting about what happened today and how many people were here today, just remember that for every single one of us that are standing here in this cold on Thursday morning, we are here for tens of thousands of other people who could not be here today. So don't report that there was X number of people. 
report that there was tens of thousands of people who were represented. So in New Mexico, as Stephen said, we're known as the worst in the country to raise a child. We're known as the worst that ha in our education system for the country. And we're known for having a, a Republican-made behavioral health crisis. What they talk about is our crime rate, but what that really is, it's been manufactured to make sure that we stay down. And so when the FCC does what they have done in a month, when they take away things like broadband, when they take away and they got Lifeline, and now today they're after our net. They are targeting states like New Mexico and people like me and people like Austin Riaki. And we are here to say no. In fact, we're here to say, and if you'll just humor me, join me. Na 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 na. Hey, 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 no, no pie. Na, 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 na. Hey, 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 no, no pie. Na, 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 na. Hey, 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 no, no pie. We are saying no. Because we, we know who we are and we know what we need. And young people like. Austin Wiocki from the Native American Voters Alliance, they know that they need the internet. Our children deserve education. Right. The internet gives us education. Yeah. Our elders deserve health information. Yeah. The internet gives them health information. Yeah. And we deserve to be connected to one another, to the people that we love, and that is our human right. And the FCC, you're not taking that away from me. My brother here, Austin Wiocki. Hello everyone, uh, thank you everyone for coming out. This is the first time I've gotten to see really how many people there are in the crowd. It's kind of taken me back a little bit. I, I, like I said, and Roberta said earlier, uh, I'm from New Mexico. O over half of our population is, is rural. H over half of our population is out stranded by themselves. And the FCC, not even a month ago, gutted a program that cost almost nothing to the taxpayer for no reason as an act of cruelty to leave people stranded out by themselves to not have any communication. There was no coverage on that, but they will be heard here today. People will be stood for here today. No one here is deceived that what Chairman Pai is trying to do today is an act of vision or movement or forward progress. It is an act of cowardice and cruelty. There's, there's no reason, there's no rhyme or reason that what's likely going to happen today should happen. And I'm so happy that everyone here is, is standing together. And we have to know that regardless of what happens today, regardless of what is probably going to happen today, that the fight doesn't stop here.
Call your senators, email your senators, mail your senators while you still can. Call the FCC, bomb every, everything you can. Get all the messaging out there that you can. We have to be heard. We will be heard. We must be heard. Thank you very much. You have been listening to voices from the net neutrality wake-up call protest held outside the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, on Thursday, December 14, 2017 in Southwest D.C., just before a vote taken by the FCC to scrap net neutrality. MCs for the rally included Stephen Vanderos, Organizing Director for the Center for Media Justice, and Colette Watson, Digital Campaigner for Free Press. And that will do it for today's show. I want to thank Gerald Horn. The music we played this hour included Feel by Kendrick Lamar and Impact by Orbital. Our theme song is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital on Pacifica Radio. You can reach us and listen to all of our shows on our website, onthegroundshow.org. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Esther Averam. I'll be signing books at the BZB Holiday Gift and Art Show, Saturday, September 16th, 10 to 7 p.m. at 1510 9th Street in Northwest D.C. Thank you for tuning in and keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>